0: through contemplative practice, by meeting illness, aging, and death with compassion and wisdom. Learn about us at zencare.org. Some of you may be aware that yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. painful day for many people who have lived in Israel. Also a day that was yesterday was also a celebration of Sukkot. So people were celebrating these temporary structures that are built to celebrate what (coughs) we have and also to appreciate impermanence. It's also the day that 3,000 rockets were fired from Gaza. (coughs) 3,000. Over 300 Israelis were murdered, people going into people's homes, including relatives of some Sangha members. 1,600 were wounded and more than 50 babies and children and soldiers and elderly were kidnapped. I'm not actually talking about politics. I'm talking about human beings being murdered and kidnapped. More than 200 Palestinians were killed and wounded in retaliation. And that interruption was actually to me, like part of the, how do we learn how to metabolize and not go into the story of it, but just to feel the sorrow on all sides. This morning, rockets were sent from the camps in uh, Lebanon, Palestinian camps in Lebanon, into Israel. Some landing actually right near the kibbutz where I lived. And there'll be retaliations there and lives lost there also in Lebanon. One of our Chodanai's dear friends, actually, his family was raised in that camp where Palestinians live in Lebanon. How do we learn how to actually feel the incredible sorrow and anger? Fear and confusion without having to put it on to someone else. To me, this is a human thing. And to me, one of the reasons that fuels and propels me into practice to really look at, wow, how easy it is to blame, to bonk other people over the head with our opinion of what side is right and what side is wrong, what side is mentioned, what side isn't. How do we just actually learn how to listen? Act from that listening, from compassion and wisdom. It's so challenging to actually listen. It is rare to actually listen. The other day, our friend Ayoya Tendi was saying that maybe the Buddha left out potentially a ninth fold of the Eightfold Path. Listening. How rarely we listen, we just interject before we even really hear. Even ourselves. We interrupt ourselves, we interrupt our own wisdom and compassion. Which makes firing rockets at other people very easy because other people don't exist. Encourage you to reflect. And how do we each, you know, work with our anger, our resentment, the three poisons? Our greed of wanting to be right. Our right, which also turns into righteousness. How is it possible that who's right is more important than human? It's one of the reasons why we bow down our head and lift up the Buddha mind. Because what we think often is just like leading. And we forget ..that anyone we see is actually where we also belong. So important. empires and nations rise and people suffer, and empires and nations fall and people suffer. People will always suffer when it becomes about a nation or an empire or an idea. So what I like to do is also turn to our ancestors and see like, well, what do they have to say? Because I always find it's wonderful to get out of what I have to say about it. So relieving to not have to always think about, well, what do I think? What do I think? I like to really practice, who cares what I think, but what are other people who have lived in this life reflecting on, teaching? So there are 36 ancestors from, so 36 generations after Shakyamuni Buddha, Yaoshan Yan, who's one of our Chinese ancestors, lived. He was born around 745 and died in 827. So also just to give you a sense though, so my teacher again, Yokojima Roshi, you know, his temple was created in 703. So around a little earlier than our 36th ancestor was this temple was built. Yeah. so interesting. It was during the Tang Dynasty. And there was lots of conflict during the Tang Dynasty in China. Buddhism fell in and out of favor. People were murdered because they didn't believe what one group believed then too. This seems to be part of our human condition that murdering groups of people that we think are not us. So this was happening in 745 and now. So to me it's always helpful to remember that this has been happening. It doesn't matter what names of the people are, but this has been happening for a very long time. And the names of the people also matter. But so he was the grandson, the Dharma grandson of Wei Ning, the sixth Zen ancestor. Yahu which in some people say it was kind of like the beginning of Zen time. So we really appreciate these ancestors because of their dedication and steadfastness. And what's so amazing is that also I was reflecting. Someone reminded me of a koan that is actually about the Sig Zed ancestor because he was hated too. People didn't like, people were very jealous of this guy. So much so that one of them who was thought to be a general went to kill him. Chased him. because he didn't see him as a person. He just saw him as having something that he wanted. Like that's where envy and greed can get so poisonous. They chased him and then finally, Uyining turned around and just put his robe and bowl down. He's like, that's what you come for. Take it. That's really what's important. It's yours. But he couldn't lift it up. So he went to take it and it's too heavy. Because it just wasn't his. Some versions of that story, it said that he sweat a lot. I like that detail. Because there's something he changed after he couldn't lift it up, couldn't get his breed, couldn't be manifested. Then he just was then he was just face to face with Wei Ning, this person that he supposedly hated this person who is supposedly not him. And then he's like, oh, you and I are here. Now what? And Wayne said, think neither good nor evil. And for me, this feels like very good medicine for today. Maybe every day, but in particular this day, or many people feel very riled up. Understandable. We have to let our hearts open and break. get into the human story instead of that ideology. Think about the mothers and the fathers on both sides. <sighs> So mostly we remember Yao Shan Wei Yan, this guy who lived such a long time ago, because of his very important teaching around non-thinking also feels like good medicine. And this story is referenced throughout the Shobogenzo and the Jogen's work he just loved this ancestor so much <laughs> it says once when he was sitting a monk asked him what are you thinking of while you're sitting Yaoshan said, I'm thinking of not thinking. And then the monk said, well, how do you think not thinking? And Yaoshan said, not thinking, just to clear it up. So that's the end of that. To me, it's a very important. Very important. It's easy to use our teaching and our mind to try to understand. It's not going to help you. That's why I always, often, are saying, "Dumb and dumber is the way." Because it's really, to me, it's just my version of yao shan. It does not matter what you think. It doesn't matter. Not really. What would it be like to practice this non-thinking when you get really activated and sure about something? also the barometer for how our practice is going. Are you really leading with your thoughts or are you leading with non-thinking? To me, it's also a great way to another barometer is how are your actions affecting the whole? How are you learning how to metabolize like what you feel like you have to say or you have to do? And just learn how to come back to your breath. to, To ask, is this the right time, place, and conditions to say that or do that? Am I attuned to what's happening? am I considering harmony to me like this on this day that feels so radical to consider harmony feels radical cuz if i'm considering harmony i have to be considering you One day when Yashan was sitting, his teacher asked him, Shito, asked him, what are you doing here, which is a good question for a teacher to ask. Yashan said, I'm not doing a thing. And Chito said then, you're just sitting leisurely? Yashan said, if I was sitting leisurely, I would be doing something. Yeah. So beautiful. So just sitting. Mm-hmm. Shikantaza. What we value so much. Mm-hmm doing anything. You're nowhere else. The danger of trying to do something with your practice. There's a very beautiful book that um, which I, actually I don't know if it's a beautiful book. <laughs> there is a book <laughs> <laughs> about Leonard Cohen and uh, who is, I find a very beautiful uh, singer, mostly because it's funny that he's a singer. But it's amazing, amazing. And the book is called Who by Fire, which is about this point in his life where he was just like feeling really depressed. He suffered with depression his whole life and was in one of those deep, dark times. His relationship wasn't working, like just like nothing was working. And it was actually 50 years ago, and the first day of the Yom Kippur War, and the war started, and whatever it was, like, he just felt propelled to go. Mm. And so he went to Israel and uh, went to the front lines, but like the literal front lines, not like something kind of cushy, and would just sing. And it's said that like a lot of the soldiers just appreciate him because they didn't really understand what he was singing, because a lot of them didn't speak English. But they could feel the feeling, the sorrowfulness, if you're familiar with his work, the melancholy, in which he knows so well and was able to share. And this very poignant thing happened for him there, that um, he just felt very devastated by the war and just the reality of the war, not some idea of it, just like seeing bodies, seeing death. And this one moment happened where he saw this like very wounded person and felt so sad because he felt like it was an Israeli person. And then he saw that it was not. It was an Egyptian, I think, believe it was an Egyptian soldier. And he just saw his hubris. He saw like, oh, I felt sad that it was an Israeli, and then relieved when it was not. And that's when he understood that he was actually making these separations that he didn't want to make, that actually went against his basic ethics. And then he wrote this, Song called "Who by Fire," which is kind of uh, his version of a very strange and poignant prayer that is said on Yom Kippur. That really basically lists like all the different ways you could die in the next year. But it said that it was he was so informed by that moment of separation, of not seeing, like, oh, who's, who is the side that I'm for? And who am I against? Thinking, the problem of thinking. And so some of the lines of that song, the poem, is who by fire, who by water. Who in the sunshine? So all these are different ways of dying. Who will die in the sunshine? Who in the nighttime? Who by high ordeal? Who by common trial? Who by very slow decay? Who in their lonely slip? Who by barbiturates? Who in the realm of love? Who, by something blunt, that's what yesterday felt like. Who, by powder, who, by greed, who, by their hunger, who, by accident, who, by bravery, who, in solitude, who, in this mirror, who by their own hand, and who in power. All possible, even for all of us in this room, in this window. But to me, like how do we really take the medicine receive the medicine of Shan and Leonard Cohen, of really noticing when we're creating separation, splitting off who's right and who's wrong, even in our own mind. And how do we return, and how do we really allow this practice to be a refuge? Of non-thinking, but just really experiencing whatever you are experiencing without putting a sticky note on it feel this, I feel that, I feel this, I feel that. Who cares? What would it be like for moments to nurture who cares what you think and feel? But how are you? Are you here? Are you belonging? And who is it that you feel like doesn't belong? And to me, those are the people that we need to practice with. Or Ruh Suzuki said, the people who we feel like we don't love are the center of our practice. For the barometer really of, to me, this practice is loving. and really getting clear what we call the world what do you call the world is it my world or is it the world